we are spending some time together this fall, uh, looking at God's Word and just asking God to teach us how to love like Jesus loved. And we're using kind of 1 Corinthians 13, some of those uh, verbs in there, those descriptors of love, uh, and seeing how Jesus uh, modeled those and lived those out for us along the way. Uh, we're, we're coming today also, we're going to gather uh, toward the end of our time together around the bread and the cup uh, as we remember the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And those two fit together as we think about uh, the focus today on the reality that love suffers, that love suffers. He was born a Jew, Richard Wormbrun was his name, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ in his late 20s and began preaching the gospel just a few years after that. That was in Romania, and then the Soviet Union occupied it. And communism quickly drove Christianity underground. Heedless of the danger, Wormbrun continued to preach the gospel. Soon he was kidnapped by the secret police while on his way to church. And he was put in prison where he would spend a total of 14 years. 14 years in communist captivity. Over the long course of several incarcerations, Wormbrun suffered many appalling deprivations. He was mocked, beaten, burned, and frozen, brainwashed, and abused. For hours on end, the communists would tell him time after time after time, nobody loves you anymore, nobody loves you anymore, nobody loves you anymore. Despite his many sufferings, Richard Wormer refused to give up his faith in the gospel, his hope in Jesus Christ, or, and this is amazing, or his love for the very communist who kept him under brutal captivity. What enabled him to bear this persecution and endure all this suffering? Simply this, the love of Jesus Christ. Werman would rather write of his experience in the book Tortured for Christ about defeating communism through the love of the Spirit of Christ. Let me read to you some of his words. In solitary confinement, we could not pray anymore as before. We were unimaginably hungry. We had been doped until we became as idiots. We were as weak as skeletons. The Lord's Prayer was much too long for us. We could not concentrate long enough to say it. My only prayer repeated again and again was, Jesus, I love thee. Jesus, I love thee. And then one glorious day, I got the answer from Jesus. You love me, now I will show you how I love you. At once I felt a flame in my heart which burned like the sun. I knew the love of the one who gave his life on the cross for us all. But what Wormman going on to discover is that that love was not just at work in his life, but was also in the work in the life of fellow prisoners who were also there as followers of Jesus Christ. He writes, I have seen Christians in communist prisons with 50 pounds of chains on their feet, tortured with red-hot iron pokers in whose throats spoons full of salt had been forced, being kept afterward without water starving, whipped, suffering from the cold, praying with fervor for the communists. This is humanly inexplicable. It is the love of Christ 
which was shed into our hearts. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love bears all things. Love endures all things. And what many of us know by personal experience is that if you are going to love, true love, true love is able to bear many hardships and endure many sufferings. Because in a world that's been marred and distorted by sin, love suffers. Love suffers. And perhaps we see that no better lived out in the life of Jesus than toward the end of his earthly life. Those hours leading up to and including his crucifixion on the cross. And so I want to invite you to journey there with me in Matthew 27. The Gospels all record aspects of it, but we'll look at Matthew's account in Matthew 27 as I want us to to see the the suffering love of Jesus. Uh, And it begins, as we'll begin there, in in verse uh, uh, 27. And let me just read a few verses there and invite you Uh, to follow along, uh, if you would. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. Now, I want to unpack some of this, and we won't certainly go into all the detail that you could go on this account, but I don't want maybe the familiarity to, to blunt the impact of the suffering love of Jesus. I want you to see something that sometimes we skip over very quickly, and that is that they had stripped Jesus. They stripped him. That he was, he was totally exposed. Now, that, that's not a very comfortable feeling for us, is it? I mean, most of us don't even like going to the doctor's office, right? <laughs> and, and, you know, oh, man, if they make you put on one of those gowns, I mean, oh, my goodness, right? I mean, they don't cover everything up, right? I mean, we, we just feel very uncomfortable even in a setting like that. But here's Jesus uh, surrounded by all of these people and, and Jesus who comes in the flesh. And in this moment, uh, here's this God who became flesh, this act of incredible love, and and they have him standing before him. And we're going to touch more on this in just a few moments, but he's totally exposed. It is part of the ridicule. It is part of the humiliation. It is part of of tearing him down. And so they stripped him as he's totally exposed. And then the mocking and the beatings begin in earnest. The mocking and the beating begins in earnest. And and I want you to kind of see some of this because Sometimes we miss maybe some of these aspects of of what they were actually doing in the midst of it. They mocked him, and they mocked his claim to be king. Did you see that? They they, they put a crown of thorns, right? They give him a a, a reed as a scepter, and they struck him on the head, and they they mock him and then put a robe on him and have all of this false thing. But here's the thing. He is the king. 
There is something, something about us. If somebody attacks us as something that it's not even who we are, it doesn't really affect us. But, but when they start attacking the core of who we are, and that is exactly what they're doing with Jesus. They mocked his claim to be king. They mocked his claim even to be a prophet. Luke's uh, account gives us insight into this. They also blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? You claim to be a prophet. We're going we're gonna to mock even your claim to be a prophet. We'll blindfold you. We'll strike you. We'll see how prophetic you really are. They mocked his claim to be king. They were mocking his, his claim to be a prophet. And they mocked even his very claim to sonship. Let's skip down to verse 40. In verse 40, I have those, those words. And, the, and they, say, they were saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If, <laughs> if you are the son of God, come down from the cross. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're the son of God. Here in this act of incredible love on the cross, even in that moment, they're mocking. They're mocking the core of his identity as the Son of God. They're mocking his saving power, verse 42. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. The one who came to, to seek and to save, and, and they're mocking his, his capacity, his ability to even uh, do what he has promised to do. And I want to see one other. They're mocking even the very essence of his faith, his trust in his heavenly Father. As you continue, verse 43, he trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Here in these moments, they're, 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 they're mocking all of these things. And please understand, all of these things, these were reasons for Jesus to be exalted, not for him to be humiliated. These were reasons for Jesus to be celebrated and honored, that he is the king, he is the prophet, he is the son of God who has come in the flesh, he is the one who has come with rescuing, saving power. He is the one who lived by this perfect faith relationship with the Father, modeled that for us, and called us to it. All of these things we should have been celebrating, all of these things that he should have been exalted for, and they mocked him over it. He was stripped, totally exposed. He was mocked and beaten. And then there is that universal sign of contempt, spitting. Spitting. Did you notice it there in verse 30? We read it earlier. And they spit on him. They spit on him. Think about that for just a moment. I mean, regardless of culture, this is one of those things that, that seems to transcend culture. When you, when you spit upon somebody, it, it is like the ultimate sign of contempt. You don't even have to speak their same language, but you do that. And everybody knows. Everybody knows. This is a sign of contempt. And here is the one who loved them perfectly. The one who came to, to do what only he could do motivated by love and they spit upon him the universal 
sign of contempt. And then, of course, there is the crucifixion itself. The crucifixion itself. And I, I, I know that maybe for many of us in the room, we've, we've heard of it, we've read it, we've even seen movies about it. And, but I hope that it never loses its power. It never loses its impact when we begin to think about it. Look at verse 32, and let me just, we've already read some of these verses, but I just want to kind of read the flow of them together and invite you just to use some sanctified imagination to kind of step into that moment and step into that scene with me this morning. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. And when he tasted it, he could not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews, as the mocking continued. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel, let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. How low does it have to be that the people who are being crucified with you are mocking and reviling you? We see in these moments the suffering love of Jesus we see the, the, the physical pain, the physical pain. And, and we won't take time to go into that this morning, but, but we've documented it before, and there's much been written on it and even, even captured in film. But, but the indescribable pain, the, uh, the, the beatings, the, the ripping open of the, the back through the, 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 the whipping, the, 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 the loss of blood, the, the carrying of the cross, the, the, the piercing of the, the flesh with the, the spikes that would attach you to the, the cross, having to lift your body even to be able to breathe. And with each lift, you're, you're rubbing that wood against that, that back that's been torn open and the flies and the heat and the dehydration and all that is a part of those moments and all of that going on, all of that, that physical pain that was a part of the crucifixion. But the crucifixion was also about public humiliation. Listen, the Romans didn't crucify because it was quick and efficient. <laughs> there were much, much quicker and much more efficient ways to put somebody to death, right? The purpose of crucifixion was to inflict pain and to intimidate and to humiliate. To send a message to anybody looking, but to, to, to reap not only physical pain, not only carry out a sentence, but public humiliation. And Jesus did that because of love. 
But then perhaps the most agonizing of all was the spiritual separation. The spiritual separation that is recorded for us. Look at verse 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? In those moments, Jesus experienced what he had never experienced before. That which, which made all the physical pain pale in comparison. That in those moments, the, the holy and righteous and just wrath of God for sin was poured out upon him. And as he absorbed the fullness of the wrath of God upon sin, as he took that upon himself, he experienced this, this separation from the Father that he had never, ever experienced before. And in those moments, he suffered because love suffers. And later followers of Jesus Christ, as they would begin to understand the implications of that, would look back on those moments, would look back on that suffering love of Jesus, and they would find encouragement and strength. Hebrews 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross because love endures all things, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Peter, who would deny Jesus in those crucial moments that surround Matthew 27. This Peter who would experience the resurrected Lord would experience a, a, a restoration, a, a forgiveness, and a, a new commissioning all by the grace of Jesus Christ made possible by the suffering love of Jesus Christ would write to followers of Christ about these moments. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree because love bears all things. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Oh, when you come to understand the fullness of love, you understand that in a world marked and marred and distorted by sin, that love will suffer. Love suffers. So how do we respond to the suffering love of Jesus. Well, let me this morning suggest three major thoughts. And the first is foundational to all the rest. We respond to the suffering love of Jesus with a saving faith. With a saving faith. Paul, whose life was transformed, not by just trying to be moral or trying to be religious, but by the, the incredible, overwhelming, even willing to suffer love of Jesus, would later write uh, to the Romans, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. He was put to shame. But those who believe in him will not be put to shame. Sometimes when I'm sharing this with someone, I say our response comes down uh, in some respects to two words, turn and trust. Turn and trust. We turn from a a self-focused, a a self-centered, a self-controlled life. We turn from our sin. We turn from lesser things, and we turn toward God. And we turn toward God in a trusting faith, that we trust God, that what Jesus Christ did for me, I couldn't do for myself, but what Jesus Christ did for me was sufficient for me. I turn to him, not only as the one to rescue me from my sin, to forgive the penalty of my sin, but the one who I can follow, the one who right here, right now will lead me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I trust him with my past. I trust him with my present. I turn and I trust that he is the one who said, I have gone to prepare a place for you. And if I have gone to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto me that where you are, where I am, you may be. And so I entrust my future completely to him. And so I turn, I turn from trusting in self. I turn from pursuing pursuing sin, and I turn and trust in the suffering love, the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I turn and trust that he's going to guide me, he's going to empower me, and he's going to keep me with him even throughout all eternity. And and here's what I want to say to you today. On this day, when we think about the suffering love of Jesus, When we, in a few moments, gather around the bread and the cup, which symbolize the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I can think of no better day to come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ than today. Please don't mishear what I'm saying. I'm not saying we want you to be religious. I'm not saying you need to be Baptist. I'm saying every one of us needs Jesus Christ. Every one of us needs a relationship with Jesus Christ that has at its genesis a turning and a trusting in him. And so I'm going to ask you today, some of you as you're seated here right here this moment, you're, you're sensing the, the tugging of God's Spirit at your heart. And may, maybe you just know, hey, that's me. That's me you're talking about, Jeff, right here, right now. I, I need to turn. I need to trust in you. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, Jeff, I, 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 I've got a few questions to ask along the way. This is what I'm going to ask you to do today. As the body of Christ, As folks who have been touched by the grace of God, we want to help you experience that same thing. It's not a position of superiority, inferiority. It is one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. And so this is what I'm going to invite you to do today. At the close of our time of worship, there's going to be some folks in that back corner over there. You see next steps. We want to help you take that next step in your relationship with God, your next step of obedience to him. There's a prayer room back there. and There's just going to be some folks hanging out there after our service. And today, today it would be our honor to come alongside you and share with you a little more about how you can experience 
that saving faith. Let today be the day that you turn and you trust in Christ and Christ alone. I respond to the suffering love of Jesus Christ at the most foundational and yet the most eternity transforming level, the level of saving faith. But as I continue to live out of that faith, I ought to operate out of a profound gratitude. A profound gratitude for what God has done for me. Paul, who was overwhelmed with, with what God had done, that, that grace that had rescued him, he realized it wasn't about his works but about grace, would write to the Corinthians, but thanks be to God. In the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of realizing what we really deserve, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord, Jesus Christ. And, and as I was, was reading and, and in prep for this, this message, uh, came across uh, uh, the writings of uh, Corey Ten Moon. Maybe many of you know her, her work on, uh, entitled The Hiding Place. Heidi and her sister, uh, uh, Corey, excuse me, Corey and her sister were, were in a Nazi concentration camp. And God taught them so many things in the midst of that, that horror. And she wrote about a recognition that she had even in revisiting some of these passages we've been looking at this morning. And it filled her with a lesson in gospel gratitude. She said, I had read a thousand times the story of Jesus' arrest, how soldiers had slapped him and laughed at him and flogged him. Now such happening had faces and voices. Fridays, the recurrent humiliation of medical inspection. Naked, these young women stripped of all their clothing. Naked, we had to maintain our erect hands at side positions as we filed slowly past line after line of grinning guards. But it was on one of these mornings, while we were waiting, shivering in the corridor, and yet another page in the Bible leapt into life for me. He hung naked on the cross. I had not known, I had not thought. The paintings, the carved crucifixes showed at least a, a scrap of cloth, but this... I suddenly knew was the respect and reverence of the artist. But oh, at the time itself, on that other Friday morning, there had been no reverence, no more than I saw in the faces around us right here, right now. I leaned toward Betsy ahead of me in line. Her shoulder blades stood out sharp and thin beneath her blue mottled skin. Betsy, they took his clothes too. They took his clothes too. Ahead of me, I heard a little gasp. Oh, Corey. And I never thanked him. And as Betsy Tinboom instantly understood to be truly grateful for the gift of our salvation means telling Jesus how thankful we are for his endurance. 
It is to say, I love you, Jesus, for the beatings, for the bruisings, for the humiliation that you bore for my redemption. Thank you for your blood on the forehead and the spit on your face and the undying love in your heart. And the suffering love of Jesus grips us. We respond with a profound gratitude. And out of a platform of saving faith, out of a heart filled with profound gratitude, God enables us to do what we couldn't do on our own. He enables us to begin loving others with a suffering love. To begin loving others with a suffering love. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. To walk in the way that Jesus walked, to love in the way that Jesus loved, means that we love, and he pinpoints this, this giving up of himself, a fragrant offering, and a sacrifice to God. Peter, whose life was transformed by the suffering love of Jesus, would later write, for what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? You deserved it. But If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Because love endures. Love bears. Love suffers. Sometimes people say, well, God will never give you more than you can bear. And they even say it sometimes with such authority. They even say things like, well, the Bible says... Well, I've read the Bible plenty of times. I've never seen that exact wording in there. In fact, is what I've become convinced of in my own life experience and in walking alongside others is that God will give you things more than you can bear. But here's the thing. God may give us more than we can bear but he'll never give us more than he can bear. Our sufficiency doesn't come from ourselves. Our capacity to love, even even when love means bearing and enduring and suffering, doesn't come from our own strength. Our sufficiency comes from Jesus Christ. He may very well bring things into our life and say, God, I don't have the strength. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the love. But you do. You do. And so I need you to love through me. 
I need your enabling, empowering grace to teach me how to love, even when love requires that I bear things and endure things and suffer things. To pull this together, 1 Corinthians 13, so often read at weddings that we almost automatically in many of our brains associate it with a wedding gown, right? And please hear me, I'm not saying let's keep reading it at weddings. But let's understand that perhaps the best understanding of 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love it's not so much about the wedding gown and flowers and music and all of those things as it is about the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. John Christendom, writing on these, wrote on, preached on 1 Corinthians 13, 7. He said that love bears all things, whether they are burdensome or grievous, whether insults, lashes, or even death. These are the very things that Jesus suffered for us on his way to the cross and on the cross itself where he gave his life for the sins of the world. And it is that very same love that he enables us to love other people with. In a world distorted by sin, we're going to need more than romance. We're going to need more than pictures. We're going to need a love that endures all things. A love that bears all things. A love that at times is willing to suffer. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father, as we think about the suffering love of Jesus Christ for us, it, it fills us with humility. It fills us with awe and gratitude. It kind of blows our minds. And so, Father, we just ask today, Lord, would you just remind us, remind us of the greatness of your love. And, Father, I pray very specifically today, Father, that for some in this room right here, right now, that your Holy Spirit is at work in their life. And, and today is the day for them to respond to you with a saving faith. Today is the day that in love you're calling them to, to look anew and afresh at the cross and the sin and the rebellion that drove, them, that drove you there. And, Father, that today they, they would turn. They would turn from sin. They would turn from lesser things, and they would trust fully and completely in Christ and Christ alone. Lord, let today be the day of celebration and salvation. And Father, I pray for those that name your name in this place right now. Would you fill us with such a gratitude? Would you just overwhelm us with a holy awe, with a heart that overflows with gratitude towards you? And Lord, out of that platform of transforming faith, out of a heart of gratitude, would you give us your love? And Lord, probably every one of us in this room have some people that are so hard to love. And there are times we don't want to carry the burden anymore. And we're not sure we can endure.
Father, would you teach us? Would you enable us to love like Jesus loved? I'm just going to ask you now just to spend these next few moments.